in a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. Hello there, and welcome to the Video Nasties podcast. My name is Christopher Brown. The thing I always find so striking about Possession, the 1981 French cult horror film directed by Andras Zukowski and starring Isabel Ajani and Sam Neill, is that Zukowski took his own divorce as the basis for the story. A tale of spiralling obsession and madness. And a scene featuring Ajani having sex with a monstrous octopus. That is, I think it's fair to say, some divorce he was having. The film is a mixture of hysteria in its truest sense. And excesses. It's a film about what happens when your emotions spiral out of control. And there is nowhere for them to go. Then we see a desolate landscape of West Germany, as if the brutality of the breakup had a direct impact on its surroundings. Your wife keeps her own secrets. Make her talk to me. It'll be the way that she wants. Tell me. Well, I think what you want to do to Bob is just... Inhuman. So what you're doing must be human. hate me as much as you like but it's you who wants to know things for me so please make it possible different from anyone else. We are all the same. But in different words. Different bodies. Different versions. Like insects. Meat! What is it? Oh, <laughs> 
Isabella Gianni is a young woman called Anna who forsakes her husband called Mark, played by Sam Neill, and her lover, Heinz Bennett, for a bizarre tentacled creature that she has kept in a run-down Berlin squat. In the beginning, her husband knows nothing about the monster and believes that his wife is insane. He has a tale by a private detective, whom she kills and feeds the creature. Still unaware of what's going on, the husband um, begins a, a relationship with his wife, a walk of life of his wife, who was also played by Jani. She's a school teacher who freaky comes to tutor his son while his wife's away. They're tempted by, um, by the goodness of the woman. Um, he's still passionately in love with his wife, who is um, determined to tell him that uh, she doesn't want him anymore. And um, in the end, he finds out about the murders, but decides to stay on her, with, or by her side despite her lack of love and help her conceal her crimes. Eventually, all sides begin to embrace the darkness that's there and all hell is about to break loose. What I've just explained, described there, um, it all seems a bit odd and totally bizarre. The movie was missold as a horror film, although it has more in common with Lars von Trier's Antichrist than The Exorcist or Texas Chainsaw. One woman's, one husband's fears of hidden monsters 
are made real and rather grisly into the flesh. Filmed amid the oppressive backdrop of the Berlin Wall by, uh, well, the expatriate Polish director who had been unable to work in his homeland after too many clashes with the authorities, the picture is so unrelentingly intense and so deliberately confusing that many viewers will find it hard to connect with. Still, it's a film that has plenty of symbolism. It has an unbridled and flashy directorial style and a performance in a journey which earns a, a, a lot of love. Zukowski was born the 22nd of November in 1940. Uh, a Polish film director. He was born in Lviv, which is uh, was, was Ukrainian SSR, the Soviet Union, which is now the Ukraine. Zukowski um, it went has gone and continues to go against mainstream commercial fare, and uh, his success lies in the European art house cinemas. In the late 1950s, he uh, studied cinema in France. But his second feature, The Devil, from 1972, was banned in Poland. Zakowski went to France to work. After the success of that most important thing, Love, in '75, he spent two years making The Silver Globe. However, in spring '77, the project came to a sudden halt um, there was a hardline ideologic uh, to Wilhelm as a vice minister of culture. Um, perceiving the plot as a thinly veiled allegory for the people's struggle with totalitarianism, Wilhelm shut down the film, which was 80% complete, and ordered all materials destroyed. The film actually wasn't destroyed, and the director was able to complete it later. But he returned to France at that point, angry, distressed, and with his relationship with Malgratzi uh, Brunek in ruins. He moved to his next project, a film that he tried to sell, uh, sell to his distributors as A Woman Has Sex with an Octopus. It was written with Frederick Tutton in response to all this, and was filmed in the shadow of the Berlin Wall with help from the West German Film Board. Those soldiers holding guns on the wall that you see in the film are the real deal. Though co-produced by a German company shot in Berlin, the film itself hadn't been released in that country until late 2009. Zuzkowski uses the location to go out of his way to show desolation and dislocation, matching his own anger and sense of portrayal. Special effects artist Carlo Rambaldi assisted in creating the tentacled creature featured in the film. Apparently Tutton didn't even know there was actually going to be a monster until the huge grim rubber creation arrived. Influenced by Alien, they'd wanted H.R. Geiger but were forced to use Rambaldi as their next best thing. Carlo Rambaldi was obviously an Italian special effects artist who 
fans of his work will know him from films like E.T. and doing the mechanical head effects for Alien, for both of which he won an Oscar. The film, therefore, is notorious for this monster that seems to live under the bed and become more human as time goes on. But there's also the famous subway passage scene, in which Ajani's character miscarries her own faith, releasing a monster at the same time. She rolls in a variety of different bodily fluids, blood, milk, mucus, and a grim and incredibly violent way. The role earned Ajani the Best Actress Award at Cannes, although she later said to a French magazine that she was never going to play a similar role again, and it took her a few years to get over the upset of the job. Part of the reason for that, I think, is that all the actors are cranked up to 11 throughout, only calming in the moments they face society, where the emotions are just about restrained. At any other point, they are literally screaming or at or tearing at each other. There's a wonderful scene where, forced by conventions of society, they meet to discuss their breakup on different tables, heightening the isolation that they feel, but also increasing the tension as both struggle to contain themselves. Enough. I suppose. Will you move in with him or keep the apartment? I'll keep it if you allow me to. I've decided not to see Bob. At all? At all. How can you say that? He's going to be fucked up enough as it is. I don't want to fuck him up even more by playing Sunday Daddy. What were you to him anyway? Precisely. He knows you. He's yours. He needs your... A real father, full-time. Well, I thought I could be coming out from the wars, so to speak. You say it's better with him than with me. I get more out of it. Tell me. I think what you want to do to Bob is... Inhuman? So what you're doing must be human. How long is it going to last? I don't know. One week, two weeks? And how do you dispose of ideas like, like honesty and loyalty? If I could only believe that it happened cleanly at first sight. Okay. If it makes things easier. I was in his bed the first night I met him, if you have to know. What do you expect of me? Look what you're doing! No one is good or bad, but if you want, I am the bad one. And if I knew he existed in this world, I would have never had Bob with you. The film itself divides audiences. It was foolishly sold as a horror film 
and had 30 minutes cut from it for the US release, making a complicated film incomprehensible. Um, certain scenes were changed, including um, when Sam Neill's character nearly tries to kill himself by riding his motorbike quick, um, rather than just it being contained within. It, the the narrative has changed that there's somehow an alien presence or a demonic presence controlling the bike. Indeed, phone calls. If there's another scene where a phone call is changed as well, so it, it appears that uh, he's speaking directly to to the demon. When in actual fact, in the story, he's speaking to his wife. Um. The BBFC passed um, a cinema cut in 1981, uncut. Uh, VTC released a film on VHS in 82. It was banned as a video nasty in September 1983. In 1984, it was cleared for obscenity in a jury trial and then was removed from the list. VTC re-released the film and toned down cover in 84. And uh, the BBFC passed it in 1999, uncut. Um, that cover itself is fascinating, certainly part of the story as well. It was created by um, Basher, the artist, and um, still stands up as an incredibly powerful work. Uh, a, a painting of a naked woman while a serpent uh, forms part of her hair and then and tries to embrace her breasts. The film itself, I suppose, I mean, you know, that image is as controversial as, as many of the other things in it. And um, certainly, it, although it has been loved by some and indeed has many good reviews, I think, um, I mean, that, that horrible thing they did with the, um, with, with the US release, I think, is, is telling. But there is good news. Um, on the 29th of July, there will be a Blu-ray release in the UK. I'm sorry, US people, it is coded to Region B, so unless you've got a, a, a region-free Blu-ray, uh, region-free Blu-ray player, you won't be able to, to watch it. But the, this, the film is um, has is been lovingly restored. I think it's fair to say. And also features lots of uh, special features. There's a 50-minute making of, which goes into a great more detail than I'm able to in the, the 30 minutes that I set myself for this this podcast. Uh, also with uh, audio commentary from RJ Z- uh, Zulowski and also um, the co-writer, Frederick Tutton. There's an R- R- Zulowski uh, interview. Um, a uh, Well, the... Um, the, the thing says it's called Repossessed, which says it compares the UK and the US reception to the film uh, and the video nasty for all. It doesn't really. What it does is it shows the the some highlights of the cuts and the changes that were made to the film when it was uh, sent out for US release, which is of interest for those that um, you know want to see exactly how, how, how butchered it was for the US release. But bear in mind, over here, despite being you know on the list for, for a year, it was never actually, you know, cut in any form. It was always sh- meant shown as it was meant to be shown. Um, there's an interview with the composer, uh, Andre Kordneski. I think that's interesting as well because the sound itself is very minimal. 
and um, it's a very um, it's a very different kind of soundtrack. I was saying about that US cut, they kind of try and crank up some Omen kind of nonsense in there to try and keep it a bit more uh, exciting. But um, in this one, it's very it's very muted, and um, there's an interview with Christian Ferry, who was one of the producers, and also a, fe- a brief feature about Basha and her artwork. Um, I don't think it really gives too much. Uh, I think that that piece only five minutes. I mean, Basha is not one of the big uh, Polish cinema poster makers. I mean, if you have any interest in Polish film poster culture, um, you'll be aware that they tend to be incredible artworks and incredibly striking. Um, also, I mean that that Blu-ray. I mean it does look as good as this film is ever going to look. So if you're a fan of the movie, uh, you don't have the DVD release, or well, even if you do have the DVD release, the extras are superb for this release and, and definitely worth looking at. Um, you know, I've, I mean it's being it's being released by Second Sight, and I think God love them. They are, you know, it's a it's a it's a hard sell because. Uh, uh, you know, it it it's be, the film's been known to be difficult to sell anyway because you know it's an art house film really, but uh, it's uh, very different to what you would normally imagine. A for a horror film, which it, although you know at its heart it kind of is, or you know normal art house fare. And I say, I think the nearest comparison to kind of pitching it next to Von Trier's Antichrist would probably be the the, the clearest way. To get a feel for what the film's actually about. Uh, anyway, um, I'll be putting up a online little talk through the the, the disc itself for you. If you want to, you want to check that out and get a better feel for it, rather than spending too long on this one talking about it. Talking about um, the reception of the film. Um, I said it was confused. I think it's worth going to this cutting, this quote from the Sunday Times from September 23rd, 1984. This was written by Peter Nicholas in a comment section in the art section. Last summer, in a police raid on a warehouse used by Videotape Centre, 700 cassettes of an art house movie Possession were seized and impounded. A few days ago, the case against the film was heard in London. The prosecution, brought under the Obscene Publications Act, lost its case by a majority jury verdict of 11 to 1, and costs were awarded to the defence. And so cineastes can now hire on tape a film that they would have been allowed to see at the cinema ever since the film centre gave it an ex certificate in 1982. Why was a considerable sum of public money spent on a failed attempt to prosecute a film which the censors had already decided was acceptable for adult audiences? The case was not a freak. The Director of Public Prosecutions has authorised a number of prosecutions of certificated films in the past two years. The Schlock parodied Evil Dead, for example. It then goes on again to say, The the possession case was rather different, in that the cultural aspirations of the film are far higher. Although presentedly convoluted in both its imagery and its storyline, it seems to be a film about the rage that can build up inside women forced to act both as mothers and supports to vaguely infantile husbands. Unlike many films that the the police have seized, the film does not exploit the humiliation of women. Indeed, it expresses considerable anger about such humiliation. 
Isabella Gianni, who can hardly be described, dismissed as an exploitation movie actress, plays the woman so enraged by her husband that she first attempts suicide, cutting herself with an electronic carving knife in a shot which, far from lingering bloodily, is quite unconvincingly perfunctory. Then somehow produces from within herself a tentacled monster, the manifestation of her fury with whom she lives in sin. Ironically, this supposedly obscene monster is the work of the Italian special effects expert Carlo Rambidini, the creator of E.T., everybody's favourite cuddly alien. To demonstrate how politically serious all this is, the film keeps cutting to grim shots of the Berlin Wall. Surely, it is manifestly ridiculous to prosecute this middle-class arthouse movie as if it somehow belongs in the same category as the films of genuine sexual sadism, the so-called video nasties that appear on the police prescribed lists. And then it goes into talk about those films and whether those films are actually worth being on the list at all as well. I think it's interesting that normally, I think it's fair to say, no, there aren't many films that actually get name-checked in the pieces that talk about the video nasties. Um, well, for example, really, you know, every, everything very revolves around I Spit in a Grave, Cannibal Holocaust and Driller Killer. They're the ones that always get mentioned. For, you know, not many people are talking about California Axe Murders or The Beyond when they're going into that, those films. And um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot, there's an assumption that there's this rich mine of outraged um, f information in the, in, you know, when you go back to the papers, and there aren't really, they just kind of say, you know, ban this sick filth, films such as, and then inver invariably talk about a spit on your grave. Um, mainly because that is, has a, um, mainly because that does actually have, you know, it had some somebody had used that as a um, had used that, you know, as a defence for violence, and we'll go into that a lot more when we talk about our spit in your grave, and when there are occasions when there's a good cutting, such as like this, I will mention it. It's interesting that he talk, you know, that piece, although you know, talks about possession at that stage, it had actually been removed from the list, and the reason why it being removed from the list is from that trial. That, well, it got removed at the same time, basically. Um, it, it'd been removed by, by uh, on that September list, and I think the reason for that was because, well, maybe because of that piece in part, because so much of it had, had been knee-jerk reaction to what the media town should be banned and what shouldn't, but also because of, you know, it had been declared not obscene in London as well. We've had a little bit of feedback, and this comes from uh, a friend of the show, a guy who I've written, read the reviews of before, a guy called Rob Wilson. Uh, I think I spoke about him on the Visiting Hours uh, podcast, or I think the one afterwards, where he'd kind of had a review and, uh, and put it uh, that he'd written it and, and put it forward. He's done it again. He's, he writes, and he, Hey Chris, I first watched Possession last year and wrote this on my Facebook wall. August 29th, 2012. Special effects artist Carlo Lombardi died this month, best known for creating E.T. In his obit, the 1981 movie Possession came up. I knew that that was in my to-watch stack, so I bumped it up. Bumped it up. Yapes. Director Andrzej Zelski had just gone through a divorce. I'm guessing the experience was not good. 
it's very difficult to get into the plot and have it to make sense. The movie isn't in the literal world. It's a bit like a Lynch film, Think a Razorhead or Lost Highway. With a serious amount of yelling and screaming, the two hours feel like five. I was drained. The lead actress tried to commit suicide after watching the movie at a screening. I don't see myself watching this again. It's not bad, it's just not fun at all. Good luck. Since then I've seen the picture again, maybe in January. Kind of odd to watch something I found so draining. It's because possession has seeped into my thoughts. At work, if my mind had a few minutes of downtime, I would think of the scene of Anna's fit in the underground. So powerful a scene, it's burnt a small hole in my psyche. I stand by it being a, t- a rough watch, but I believe it's worth it. I wish I'd sat in this movie a while before I, uh, I wrote about it. But it does give my first impressions quite honest, honestly. Impression could be another name for this film. One definition is an often indistinct or impressive notion or remembrance. No possession is better. I can't hear you. Can't wait to hear your thoughts, Rob Wilson. Well, cheers for that, Rob. Thanks for your thanks for your insight. I think I think that's a, an interesting way way to look at it. And I think it is draining and deliberately draining. I mean, it you know it, it is so you know redlining in terms of its wish to upset you and to kind of grab your attention. That um, it is a draining experience. I think that is fair. I don't think there's any. <laughs> any problems with feeling like that about it but what I mean what obviously what you're talking about there is how striking it is and the film is striking and shocking and it does it with uh, a great deal of skill I've called many times I wanted to discuss with you the redistribution of our parts in this fundamentally vulgar structure the triangle in other words, where is she? I've been giving a great deal of thought to the illogical aspects of your rendering of the events. Is Anna with you? And if? I'll only ask to have a talk with her. What if I said no? I'm sorry I used violence with you. Now I'd only employ my psychic forces to make her come to me. Oh, I'm so sorry. She's not here. Did I tell you the wife and the daughter? No. They live in Cincinnati. And what does that do for you? They will always remain my first family. Anna will be the second, and you, and Bob in some sense. Do you have a dog? What that I have? You misuse me. It's still a block man like you that lead us to the concentration camp. The two other crusaders of every blind principle, so-called ideology. Humanity invents to strangle me. Why don't you like me? Why don't you draw on the plenitude of my love and pour it all over you like fertile rain? Okay, I like you. And I can tell you where Anna lives. Lives? Only, uh, I don't know the guy's name. It's impossible, it doesn't make sense. Why not? Because you think you've given him a supreme pleasure. You with your yin-yang balls dangling from your zen brain. Okay, maybe it does boil down to a sexual contest, in which case, I'm sure you win hands down. But is that all? I used to be afraid of you, but I don't think I am anymore. There's nothing to fear 
except God. Whatever that means to you. For me, God is a disease. That's why through the disease we can reach God. Right, okay. Um, well, thanks to Rob, obviously, for that uh, that piece of information, that, uh, that review. I hope I didn't mangle it too much in my reading of it. Um, and thanks to uh, everyone who's been in touch this week and uh, retweeted the podcast to get the name out there. I mean, it's, it's such a help, to be fair, because it, it really does help me to... Um, kind of get the word out as it were um you know um i'm i'm, I'm nothing without uh, recommendations and retweets you know i'm just the guy sitting in a room talking about films he's watched okay so for example to at uncle chap who's a lovely bloke who is um who's chatting about computer games and films and stuff and um, and he's wonderful uh, and he's a lovely bloke and uh, so thanks to him thanks to our Grant House Dave who I, I mentioned frequently but uh, really does give the film a push and that double agent 73 is a guy called Martin um, thanks to all the, to all your help uh, in getting it out there um, so if you want to get hold of me please do uh, my email address is videonastiespodcast at gmail.com my email, uh, my Twitter is at orange underscore monkey, or you can do what Rob did and go to my website, which is videonastiespodcast.com and leave a message there in the comment section. Um, if you've got any feedback, that would be great of any of the films we've talked about or any of the films we will be talking about. Um, it's great to have other people's points of view. Next week, we are going to talk about Herschel Gordon Lewis's movie Blood Feast. So, until then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. I have never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film.